Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and uses the imaginary Airzatz Coffee Shop as its platform to bring you a conversation about a plethora of scintillating topics. We don't shy away from any issue that is plaguing our culture or the church today, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Dr. Jay Christensen is the truth barista, and he and amazing Larry Kutzler brew up highly caffeinated conversations for our day. Grab a cup of joe, pop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry, and it's listener-supported. For more information about The Truth Barista, go to highbeamministry.com. Thanks for listening. Where we take grace, and it becomes this incredible covering to go out and sin. This incredible covering to see how close we can get to hell without being burned. See how many things in the world we can taste and touch and handle. The question I have for you is what's in your heart? If that's the way you want to live your Christian testimony, what's in your heart if you want to go out and dance in clubs on Friday night and come here and pretend that you love Jesus on Sunday morning? First, If you are to be a faithful prophet in a nation in decline and crisis, you must expose false religion where it exists. This is not a time for tolerance. This is not a time for embracing everybody and saying it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you follow your heart. Listen, this world is full of damning false religion. I have been accused through the years of being intolerant, and I accept that as a compliment. Of course I'm intolerant. I am as intolerant as God is, as Christ is, as the Bible is, of anything that damns people's souls while promising them heaven. It is a direct message. We're not just talking about making people feel good. We confront lies. We are presenting God's truth for our day. You're listening to The Truth Barista, a production of HighBeamMinistry.com. Truth Barista, I'm so glad every week we get together. And lately we've been talking about an itsy-bitsy book called Jude. And But it's uh, not small in stature by any means. I mean, this particular letter is so rich as you've been unpacking. So where will we go today in our study? Okay, Jude has described the situation. There are people that have snuck into the bodies. He's aware of it. And they're beginning to spread some very bad doctrine, which is basically turning God's grace into an excuse to sin, and in doing so, they're denying Jesus and his absolutism of his word, that this is, you know, since you've got God's grace, this is how you should live. And they're denying that by promoting this sensuality, this lasciviousness, this outrageous sin. So now Jude says, well, let me tell you what's going to happen to these guys. And then he begins to describe it based on how God dealt with such people in the past, such wrongdoers in the past. So we're going to pick it up at verse five today and probably go a little bit faster. All right. So here we go. We come to verse 5 through 7. It says this, Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. Now, you'll notice it says Jesus in the Christian Standard Bible. In other translations, it says that the Lord or God saved people out of Egypt 
and later destroyed those who did not believe. So we'll just refer to this as God, even though Jesus we know was pre-incarnate and was likely that manifestation of God, the physical manifestation of God on earth. Yes, sir, you have your hand up with a big question. Oh, is this a big one? You know, we're always talking about God is love. Well, you know something, Truth Barista, I don't see God in that verse. I mean, to destroy people just because they don't believe? I mean, come on, aren't you supposed to influence them and woo them along so that they can believe? Boom, they're dead. Thou speaketh like a good hyper-grace pastor. (laughs) No, that's not what we're talking about here. Out of love, God saved his people and brought them out of Egypt. But he later destroyed those, what? Who did not believe, who did not trust him. And the thing is, is when you come into a relationship with God, such as the Israelites did, they got into a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And the thing about a covenant is, is they come with rewards for obedience, and covenant disciplines or punishments for disobedience. And so when you take on a covenant, you take on the blessings for obedience, and you take on the curses, as they call them, the punishments, the disciplines for disobedience. Now, I want to point out that those disciplines are meant to bring the offending party back into faithfulness in the covenant. They're not meant to be something, a tripwire where God goes, ah, now I can smite thee and blast them right there, right? That's not the point. It's if we sin, there's a mechanism for forgiveness and there will be disciplines that serve as a prod to get people back into repentance and then to reconcile and start the covenant fresh. We even have that in the new covenant, believe it or not. In fact, if you look at John chapter 14 through 16, you will see repeated promises that Jesus makes to his disciples regarding the new covenant. And there are things like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to reveal the Father to you. I'm going to let you talk to the Father. In fact, you can talk to the Father in my name. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to let him reveal truth. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all of these things that I've told you. I mean, there's a multitude of promises in John 14 through 16 regarding the new covenant. As we're faithful to the new covenant, Jesus says, this is what I'll do for you. However, in that same section, Jesus says, you have to stay tight with me. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branch. As long as you stay tight to me, we're cool. But if you don't stay connected to me, what's going to happen? You're going to begin to wither and die. And here's the covenant disciplines. You can be separated from me and the end result will be you're going to be burned in the fire. That's the same thing that we see right here that God saved a people out of Egypt, we were saved from sin, and later destroyed those who did not believe. That's the same thing Jesus is saying in John chapter 15. In fact, Hebrews says the same thing. There are people who have tasted salvation but have turned their back on it, and now they're going to be separated permanently. And it's really tough to restore people who have gone that route. And so this is what Jude is saying about these people, these false teachers, are similar to those who have turned their back on God. And he's warning the people, don't follow suit. Because look what God did to the Egyptians who came out of Egypt but turned their back on him. This is the danger of following this false doctrine that these stealth people, these stealth heretics have brought into the body. 
Okay. Do you have any questions or well, comments at this point? I do, but I, I, I don't want to take us down a rabbit trail, but it sounds to me as you were talking here that there are people who teach today, and it's been a while, yeah, ever since I think John Calvin days, that you can actually become a Christian and always be uh, in a state of grace and never lose salvation, and yet what you just said says to me anyway, there could be a possibility if you don't continue in faith and believe. Am I wrong on that? That is my personal belief. I am a, and this is tough because I have really strong Calvinist friends and I have friends that are really strong on the Arminian side. And the Calvinist says, in a sense, once saved, always saved. The Arminian side of theology, and this goes back to Reformation days, the Arminian side says, well, you could lose your salvation. I see an argument for both in Scripture. And so what this really comes down to for me is, hey, take it as a warning and make sure you mind your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As long as you're doing that, you don't have to worry about that issue because nobody can steal you from Jesus. But I believe you can yourself walk from him. So that's just my personal view. I'll leave that discussion and whatever up to other people. And that's cool. What I want to focus on now is 5 through 7. So let's read this again. Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once for all, that God saved people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. Here's the second of a triad. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Third element in the triad, likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and served as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So we have three illustrations, those of the Exodus, the people who rebelled against God and died in the wilderness. We have angels who rebelled against God and have been imprisoned for their judgment and Sodom and Gomorrah, who rebelled against God's moral laws to the extreme and died in fire. So why do you think Jude included them? All three are about rebellion. These ungodly people who are coming into your midst that Jude is writing to, these ungodly people are rebels against God's authority, and they twist his word to allow them to live immoral lives. And it's linked to Above, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, evidently Jude's hearers were already warned about false teachers, but had let down their guard. So Jude is saying, do you really want to share in God's judgment on these false teachers? Just because we start strong, will we end strong? It will only happen if we guard our faith and not rebel against God. Okay, now that's my summary of that section. Any questions? And I think you have one in your head. If you don't have it, I'm going to bring it up because it's weird. <laughs> well, are you saying that all my questions in my head is weird? Well, you're just weird. So. <laughs> well, that's true. I really don't, but I want to hear what you think my weird question would be. Angels who did not keep their proper domain, ah. their proper dwelling. Okay. See, because we get this whole thing about people rebelling against God. And we get the Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against God. So that's believers and non-believers who rebelled against God. What's his angel thing? What's he talking about? Well, we know in Scripture that a third of angels followed Satan in his rebellion against God, and they were all cast out of God's presence. A lot of those angels today are demonic spirits and other unclean spirits and are part of Satan's kingdom. However, 
What Jude is referring to here is a very specific event. Angels who did not keep their proper domain. They did not guard or attend their authority, but left behind their bodies. Okay, let me explain this. Oh, boy. This, <laughs> if you remember back in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about how the sons of God looked upon the daughters of men and said, hey, I want me some of that. I like what those human beings are doing down there. Angels are different from human beings. They are spiritual beings. However, there have been times when spiritual beings manifest in a material body. Case in point. Do you remember when Eve's walking through the garden and she comes up against that forbidden tree? Both she and Adam are standing there. And all of a sudden, there is a creature that's standing there. And in some cases, it says it was a serpent, a nachash. Now, nachash is Hebrew for a serpent, but it could be rendered nechoshet, which means shining one. So they see this being there that's shining. This spiritual being has manifested in such a way that Adam and Eve can interact with him. In fact, God is a spiritual being, and he has manifested in a spiritual way. So what Jude is referring to is this event in Genesis 6, when angelic beings, in a sense, took off their spiritual garments and took on a more physical garment so they could have sexual relations with human women. And from this union, they created these incredibly demonic human spiritual hybrids called the fallen ones, the Nephilim. In fact, you and I could talk about that sometime as a study. It's really fascinating. And in extra biblical books, they also talk about this thing happening, such as the book of Enoch. It's not the Bible, it's not scripture, but it is really interesting back commentary, backstory to that event. This is what Jude is referring to. The angels who did not keep their position as angels, but these angels called watchers left their proper place and they sinned. And what happened to them? It says here, God is keeping them in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day, meaning they will be judged or perhaps they'll be used by God to judge humanity. It's a bit unclear right there. But what we do know is Judah's warning them, hey, not God's people, not sinners, and not even angels are exempt from God's punishment if they rebel against him. So he's warning those hearers, don't rebel against God. Okay, you got that? I do. I have a question, however. Of course you do. <laughs> well, you know, most demons are fallen angels, of course, and most of them are not chained at this point. And right. yet now here you've got angels who are chained. It seems to me that these are some pretty wicked angels that God has to restrain them. Uh, today, when I think of a demon, I mean, that's a pretty wicked demonic being. Why are they chained, Truth Priest? Are they that evil? Well, according to the extra-biblical writings, and I'm saying extra-biblical, this group of angels known as the Watchers are very strong angels. In fact, the same type of description is used in the book of Daniel regarding a massive angel, a watcher, who comes down and executes judgment on King Nebuchadnezzar, takes his sanity from him. According to the book of Daniel, there is a principality that was over Persia at the time, and when Gabriel was sent to deliver a message to Daniel, and Daniel recognizes, oh, you know, Gabriel, this angel is pretty huge. Gabriel says, 
I had to fight against this principality in Persia. And I had to contend with him for a number of days before I could get loose. And the only way I could get loose is a stronger angel, Michael, had to show up and take on the fight to free me to come to you. In fact, it says Satan is a very strong being. And in the book of Revelation, an even stronger angel is able to keep him chained up for a thousand years during Jesus' millennial reign. So we know that, according to the Bible, at least what we understand, there are some angelic forces who are incredibly strong, and it's only God who is able to restrain them, and they're kept in chains as punishment. And But really, Jude's upshot is this. Again, sinners rebelled, saints saved people, rebelled, and angelic forces rebelled. These people that are coming in amongst you are rebellious against God. Do you really want to follow them? Because you're going to get the same thing that they're getting. All right, now we're getting into the false teachers, the wickedness of the false teachers, and this is verses 8 through 16. So let's just do 8 through 11 for now. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, did you understand all that? Well, I can read it, but I don't know if I have comprehension to it. How's that? Okay. The reason being is, as Judah's writing this, he's referring to a lot of things that these Jewish believers already had in their heads. They knew about Cain, they knew about Balaam, and they knew about Korah's rebellion. You run those things by most Christians today, and they go, what? We don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because that's in the Old Testament. We don't read the Old Testament. Okay, I'm picking on Christians who don't read the Old Testament. Uh, They should, because that is a part of the one story. So let's begin to unpack this, and if we run out of time, we run out of time, and we'll pick it up the next time. Okay, Dreamers, in the same way these people relying on their dreams. What does that mean? These dreamers have created their own teachings. They teach what's false, things that they've created. And look at the strange teachings of today. Forget the historically wrong teachings, the heretical teachings. This is what's going on today. What's wrong to God is right with men. What's right with God is wrong to men. We've got the hyper-grace teaching we've already talked about. Um... I've heard a charismatic teacher actually getting a lot of bookings because he's had these incredible angelic experiences. And I'm not against that. I do believe that angels interact with human beings today because that's what Hebrews says. However, when I listen to him describe his encounters with angelic beings, I'm thinking, are you really sure those angels are from God? Because what they're saying doesn't line up with God's scripture. And what they're doing certainly doesn't line up with God's scripture. So you may want to check that out. Okay. And there's some weird stuff going on in that particular subject. There were teachings, and still are, that reinforce abusive authority. There was the shepherding movement in the 80s, but we still have that type of thing today, where if you disagree with the leader, the elders or others will shake their finger, touch not the Lord's anointed. Well, 
it's more than just leader. You know, that almost sounded like Dudley Do-Right for a second. <laughs> but anyway, that particular verse is not about God's leaders. It's about God's people. It was said about the people of Israel, not just leaders. So there's this these teachings that reinforce abuse of authority. The Jewish root movement, the Jewish foundations of our faith, growing in popularity. But there are some teachings regarding that that are non-biblical. They're derived from rabbinic sources that don't line up with messianic teachings. There's mysticism that's being promoted within the church. Practices and teachings that are way off base, that have nothing to do with the Bible, that have been created because why? It's what I experienced when I was doing these mystical things. So since it was an experience, it must be right, right? No, <laughs> it has to line up with the Bible. And if you're going to put that kind of stuff out there, you better be prepared for it to be tested by the body, because that's our job is to discern. So we know whether to correct you or to embrace what you're teaching. What do these false teachers do? Here's another triad. This is triad number four. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries, as it says in the New King James Version. In other words, they have, in the Christian Standard Bible, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. So let's unpack that. This goes back to the original two charges. They're rejecting God's authority and creating teachings that allowed for immorality. Now, speaking evil of dignitaries or slandering glorious ones, in the book of Revelation, an angel of a church is a human leader. When you look at it, it says, and to the angel of the church at Smyrna, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. These are not angels. These are church leaders or the maybe the one person who's the figurehead of the church. So in one way, you could say Jude is saying that these guys are indulging in immorality, they're refusing authority, and they are slandering dignitaries, glorious ones, or leadership. It could go beyond that. It could be related to maybe abusing or thinking that they can take on principalities and powers or spiritual beings within God's realm. Not sure. The Probably the best translation, at least to go with, is that leadership thing. But it does seem to relate with this whole thing about Michael and Moses. So let's talk about that. We'll probably wrap it up for today. The Archangel Michael illustration is interesting. It's from an apocryphal book, which is an extra biblical book that didn't make it into the official scriptures. However, it is part of Jewish thinking and knowledge. So we should be aware of what that book teaches and why Jude refers to it. Okay, this argument of Michael over Moses' body comes from a book called The Assumption of Moses, or how Moses was assumed or taken up into God's presence. Moses' body was to be buried in an unknown location per God's intent. Satan fought to reveal Moses' body so that it would be used as a shrine to draw people away from God. Now, we know that Moses died on Mount Nebo, and his body was never recovered. That's in our Bible. But this whole episode with Satan is not. So this is all conjecture. But this is what Jude's hearers are thinking. It's in their mind. So this is his point. Satan fought to reveal Moses' body so that it would be used for worship and draw people away from God. Michael is said to have opposed Satan, but chose to leave the judgment up to God. The Lord rebuke you. So why is Jude using this illustration? This is what my 
King James Version Study Bible Commentary says. I think it's really good. The reverence for prerogatives of God stands in great contrast to the heretics who were slandering anyone and everything. The heretics were doing what even Michael wouldn't do, which is speaking against others. And that's how arrogant they are. That's why he's bringing it up. Michael, who lives in the presence of God, is not doing what these lowly, errant heretics dare to do, speaking arrogantly in a divine situation. So there are two problems with these guys. They don't know the truth of the gospel because they're not spiritual, and thus they speak against it. But what they do understand is only on a natural, brute beast level. In other words, they've missed the elegance and the glory of the gospel, and they're throwing it away so they can indulge their passions. Doesn't that kind of sound like things we've been talking about lately? You know, we have people who have a passion for homosexual relationships. Okay, so let's throw away scripture so they can indulge their passions. So what you see going on in the Lutheran Church, the ELCA Today, and other denominations is exactly what Jude is talking about. So this is what corrupts them. How many people have tried to build spiritual kingdoms by human strength, principles, and manipulation rather than on God's word? And then notice this amazing, Larry, how twisted spiritual things become when it's done in our own strength according to our own plans. But then again, how many Christians have done great things for God by diligently working as he leads and as he releases abilities? So this kind of gets back to this mega church thing that you and I have touched on in the past. I read a fascinating article that talked about why so many mega church pastors fall into sin. And part of it was the mechanism is not there for accountability. And part two is many of these pastors of mega churches were chosen for their CEO abilities, not necessarily for their spiritual standing. And so because of that, you have a great person leading a congregation like a business. But when it comes to the basics of the faith, the foundations, the clear word of God that keeps us on firm moral ground, uh, not so much. And suddenly they fall and it brings destruction to the church. Or these leaders lead their congregations into the same sin that they're participating in. And that's the problem. <laughs> well, all so, of that from this little itsy-bitsy book called Jude. Isn't that amazing? Yep. The next time we get together, let's start with verse 11, and we'll talk about how versatile they are in their sin. Psalm 25.5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. And Psalm 26.3 says, For your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. The Truth Barista is a conversation about the truth of God's Word and how we follow that truth. There are two things the Truth Barista values, the truth of God's Word and the clarity in how it is presented. Therefore, the Truth Barista uses a unique way to have a conversation about God and His truth. We're listener-supported. For more information, check out our website at highbeamministry.com. Again, that's at highbeamministry.com. Do you want the truth today? 
Dr. Jay Christensen is the Truth Barista and the founder of Hyde Beam Ministry. Jay is a creative person who wants to use the setting of an imaginary cafe to produce a series of radio and internet programs that confront the issues of our day through the lens of the Bible. The Truth Barista was the avenue that was developed to communicate truth using the Bible as the source of our information. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and can be found online at highbeamministry.com.